Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper for our first actual playoff recap. Recapping all the game ones from this weekend ahead of tonight's game twos. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on all platforms at YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and of course to follow me on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod. So for today's episode, I'm going to talk about all the games. I'm going to go with, I'm going to start talking, I'm going to talk about the play-in game for just a second to talk about Curry and his exit to the season. And then we're going to start with the Clippers. We're going to go to the Lakers next. Then we'll go to Miami and Milwaukee. And then I'll do Portland and Denver. And then I'll do the games from yesterday, uh, starting with the Sixers and the Wizards, because that's the one I just recently watched. And then we'll do Knicks, and then we'll end it with the Grizzlies and the Jazz. So let's start with the Warriors just real quick. Uh, what an incredible game that was at Chase Center the other night. The Memphis Grizzlies, especially Dylan Brooks, put in such a shift on defense on Curry. They tried everything they could, doubling him as much as possible. And, you know, Curry was struggling with Dylan Brooks on him. I think he was just like 2 for 10 with Dylan Brooks guarding him. And... You know, I saw an increased level of physicality being allowed. But Draymond Green in the first half, I mean, we got to talk about this. I've been very open all season long about how Draymond is really the difference maker for this team. When he scores eight points or more, they win. And you know what? He did score eight points or more. But I'm afraid it may have been a little too late because Curry didn't have his best shooting night. And there were so many times where Draymond had five feet of space or more, including the last play of regulation, which it's crazy that they were even in that position to get back in the game and have a chance to win it because they were down like five points. And Jordan Poole got a little generous call, sticking his leg out. And, you know, I thought that the Warriors were, were not that great. And Curry was trying, but the thing about it is Curry is so used to getting screens. And what do I always say, Dime Dropper fam, about screens in the modern NBA with stars? When you get a second, when you get a screen, oftentimes that brings the second defender to you. So a lot of times you got to do what we're, we're going to talk about this, and when we get to it. But what Trey Young did last night: wave off the screen, go one on one, and let them help you the old school way after you beat your defender, because then the defense is reacting a little bit. You know, it's more um, frantic the way they're reacting when you're beating them off the bounce like that. So when Curry was always going for the screens. They're always going to send two guys. And, you know, he had a little bit of daylight sometimes on one-on-one situations with Dylan Brooks on an island. And I think that at times he, he you know, was feeding that screen to get that separation. And I think that that led for other players getting open shots. But they could not come through. But you got to give the credit to the Memphis Grizzlies. Not only did they beat the San Antonio Spurs to come into a hostile atmosphere at the Chase Center... John Morant made big play after big play, coming off screens, but you know a lot of it was head recover, and he was just going one-on-one against his defender, and that was Curry for a lot of the time, and his floater game is top-notch. I love seeing him get into the lane. He made big play after big play, including the dagger to end them in the overtime session and put them up by five. Cold-blooded. You love to see it from a rookie. I'm um, sorry, a sophomore player in his first ever, you know, meaningful games in terms of playoffs or playing at this level. And he has passed with flying colors. And this won't be the last time we talk about John Morant today because we're going to talk about him and his game against Utah last night in just a moment. I also want to give a shout out to Grayson Allen in that overtime. He made some big shots, including some corner threes. And yeah, the Warriors didn't make the playoffs. It's kind of crazy to say that, especially with Curry having had the season that he did. Uh, in my, I mean, there were some 06 Kobe vibes in there, 
But ultimately, this, this season was not even comparable to 06 Kobe. And for anybody that watched 06 Kobe, you'll know. And part of that's because Kobe is 6'6", and he was just able to get shots off with two guys defending him and draped all over him. And Curry's 6'3". When he sees two guys, he usually passes and moves. I mean, he maximizes his ability. But, yeah, Kobe got a worse team into the playoffs than this. So, you know, he didn't have that level of a season. But a very great individual season. Was it his fault they didn't make the playoffs? No. I think on the list of blame, Curry is at the bottom of the list. I think that if you had told me that Andrew, I'm sorry, not Andrew Wiggins, if you had told me that Kelly Oubre Jr., James Wiseman, and Eric Paschal would not be involved for the postseason, I would have told you that the Warriors were definitely not making the playoffs because they're not deep at all. And they were playing with eight or nine guys for a large majority of this month. And that's not a sustainable winning formula when the, when the Memphis Grizzlies got Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, Dylan Brooks, John Morant, you know, Grayson Allen, uh, even guys like DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain, who put in a shift last night against Utah. But do I think Curry could have been better? Absolutely. I mean, let's, he, he also had six turnovers, and some of them were very careless, unforced passes. I mean, the one thing about Curry is he's not the best passer in the world. Draymond Green, though, I think is a bigger person to blame. He wanted to talk so much this season, and quite frankly, he just didn't play well enough on that offensive end. I thought he was going to be able to average 10 points a game, and clearly I was wrong about that. So that's it for the Warriors, guys. A slightly disappointing season. Anyway, let's... But do I hold it against Curry? Not really. But my thing is this about Curry. He had his amazing season that he had, but this doesn't do anything for me to change my opinion of him. He's the same player I thought he was before the year. Did you really think he wasn't going to average around 30 with this team if he was able to stay healthy? I mean, that wasn't a career-changing injury, that wrist injury. I thought he was going to average around the same, but I thought they would make the playoffs. And with and here's the funny part. They made the eighth seed, but this plane kind of fucked him in the ass. So, you know, Curry, he's still, you know, in that Isaiah Thomas, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West conversation. He ain't in Clyde Frazier conversation. He is not in no Magic Johnson conversation that some of these idiots that watch the modern game try to put him in. No chance. So let's, so let's stop with that talk. Anyway, uh, but respect to Curry, man. I felt for him. I felt for him because he worked his dick off this season. Let's move on to the real stuff, though. The playoffs. I will be bringing you a Game 1 vlog from last night or yesterday's game. I have to say, man, I'm just going to preface it before I start this, but... You guys saw how negative I was this season. You guys saw how little I was enjoying the basketball. I have to say, a weekend in, each game one has been played. I really remember what playoff basketball meant to me. Outside of the World Cup, there is no sports event that makes me feel like this. By the way, I see a comment about Luka being the white Magic Johnson. Stop with that talk because you clearly never watched Magic Johnson play because he does not play anything like Magic Johnson. He plays more like James Harden than Magic Johnson. Anyway, let's just continue without nonsense. But I really forgot how much playoff basketball meant to me. I forgot what the intensity of fans did to the game. It's a whole new ball game when you see fans at the game, when you see players trying on defense, and you see... You know, the, the refs letting them play a little bit, as we talked about in the last uh, uh, last recap. I mean, the scores of these games are much more realistic, much le a lot less chuck fests. I mean, it is just been amazing. I've enjoyed every second of it, and that's going to make these recaps that much better. Because you all can tell, you guys are my subscribers, you guys can tell when I seem like I'm enjoying basketball when I'm not. And you can tell in my voice. And right now, this isn't a chore for me. Right now, this is fun, and I want to watch every game. Just like I always did in the playoffs. We needed the fans back. It's just amazing how they affect the game. And let's talk about how they affected the game here today. Or yesterday. Um, what's it called? So the Clipper game, right? I went to the game. It was only 7,000 of us, which was the least amount. I think we're around the same as the Bucks capacity, which is around the least amount of any other team. But... It was dope. The atmosphere was lit. I, I'm not going to lie. I was running a little late. I got there after the intros, which sucked, but I did get there right before they tipped off. I had a really good seat. And here's the thing about the, the camera view. The the fans, or I'm sorry, the camera view was facing the cardboard cutout side, but the whole other side that they weren't showing at the Clipper game was packed. It looked like a normal game just with people wearing masks, and it was loud. Um, loud for, like, the people that were there were being loud. And so... Here's the thing that I noticed about the beginning of the game. 
we came out as if, you know, oh, we're going to see how they come out and we're going to adjust to that. Whereas the Mavericks came out as if they had a game plan and they were ready to execute it from minute one. We waited for them to throw the first punch. And that can't happen because we're at home and we blew a 3-1 lead. And I know they lost to us, and they may be a little hungrier to beat us. But that's not, that can't be the case. They should, the Clippers need to see every single opponent as the Denver Nuggets or the Lakers. Because for whatever reason, they always play amazing against the Lakers. So that is unacceptable for the Nuggets, to, or the Mavericks, to come out and punch us in the mouth first. And a big reason that that was happening was because Luka and the pick and roll. What did I talk about? It was all going to be Luka pick and roll. That's all they do. And you know what the problem was? We went with that switch everything strategy because we didn't want Luka to get downhill. And you know what came out of that? They wanted to put Zubats in the pick and roll all game. And Zoo was getting uh, isolated against Luka. And last season, Zoo did a great job with this switch. This season, I've noticed some improvements in Luka's game. He has come a long way with his mid-range. One thing I criticized him heavily for last year, and he has brought it. And that's huge. And also... A little turnaround over the right shoulder, not left. He has a little awkward shot where I think that would, he needs to work on that, but I don't think he even went to it once. But hey, he's twenty. He's my age, so like we're we're asking for a lot here. Turnarounds over both shoulders with everything he has at that age. But he had some nice turns over the right shoulder, man. Where I was like, dude, that 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 is some Larry Bird shit. He doesn't play like Larry Bird, like everyone thinks, but just occasional craftiness reminds me of Bird. But that was very impressive. But Zubats, here's the thing. Zubats is doing a good job switching on to him. The thing, and he's putting up a hand and trying his best. But we can't be putting our center in situations like that, guarding the best player, a top 10 player in the league on the other side. And I think that Luka was, you know, it was barbecue, barbecue Croatian chicken right there. Um, do they even, is there, are there even such a thing as Croatian chicken? I don't know. But that's what Luka was getting. And, he, and here's the thing. The other guys... We're starting to make shots too. Your Tim Hardaway Juniors of the world, who always plays well against us. And the biggest X factor, in my opinion, of the game, Dorian Finney-Smith. The guy was not missing. And here's why I think that we're okay. Because I don't think he's going to hit like that every game. I know he's been shooting better since the dead, uh, since the All-Star break. But 7 of 9 from the field and 4 of 5 from 3, that's a lot. I mean, 80% from the 3. More If you're going to shoot like that all, all series... It's going to go seven games. Um, but anyway, um, what else? So also, Paul George's defense was pathetic. I watched it back. You couldn't see it in live time. You had to kind of re rewind the plays and see it in slow motion. He was getting blown by by everyone, whether it was Jalen Brunson, whether it was Dorian Finney-Smith. I mean, and he was just, you know, a little bit uh, lacking in the communication department. And his first half, it was anxiety, major anxiety, playoff P-back. And here's the thing. The reason why I wasn't spamming and getting angry was because I was at the game. We were encouraging him. I heard the cheers for Paul. Come on, Paul. Come on, PG. I heard him. I was there doing it. And that's what makes it so much more enjoyable this offseason because I feel as though I can try to affect the game. Even though the fans, in the grand scheme of things, the players control the outcome, the fans help. And Paul George started feeling better. And you could tell he was feeding off that home crowd. And Kawhi, though was awesome from the jump. I mean, nine points in the first quarter. He was getting to his spots. I mean, Kawhi killed the Mavericks last year in the glorified summer league, so it was good to see him start out like that. But Marcus Morris Sr. and Reggie Jackson were atrocious, missing everything, especially their open threes. And the thing about Sr. and Reggie is they do not move without the ball. They just stand at the three-point line. And again, how many times have I talked about this with multiple teams around the league, not just the Clippers, but when teams are doubling guys like Kawhi and everyone's standing at the three-point line, it makes it easier for defenses like Dallas or anyone to play three guys with two because, you know, the pass takes time to get there. And in that time, you can split the difference. So we did a lot of that. And Senior and Reggie just standing around wanting to get going from three, I mean, it's not, it's not good enough at all. Totally wasn't good enough. Rondo and Batum again came in and helped us again, like they always do. Playoff Rondo was in full effect. He was knocking down his threes. He was playing really good defense. Got a couple pokes from behind. But Batum, his defense was the best. His communication, the way he's moving his feet against Luka, and he's hitting his open shots and hitting nice reverse layups. I thought Serge Ibaka was okay, you know, getting back into the swing of things. I thought he was good in terms of the defensive difference. You know, he's more agile than Zoo, and he's a better rim protector. And so I saw that, you know, taking effect 
for us. Um, but the Mavs were great. I mean, Luka was just killing us in that first half. I think he had like 22 points or something crazy in the first half because we kept giving him that switch. In the second half, when we were down by five, we went to a lot more trapping Luka. And I really like that. I like that because it just gets the ball out of his hands and makes someone else beat us. And you've got to pick your poison against this guy. But I think something we need to do more of is just get Kawhi and Paul George on Luka, fight through a fucking screen, and... Yeah, put some pressure on him. I mean, here's the thing. I understand that the modern NBA does not allow the same contacts getting over contact getting over screens. That doesn't mean that you just die on every screen and, oh, you're automatically at a huge disadvantage. Try to get over the screen. Kawhi and Paul George are long guys. They have long arms. They're strong. Get physical with him. Take the challenge, bruh. Enough. Enough's enough. I don't want to see Reggie Jackson guarding Luka anymore. Take the challenge as stars. You think a screen is an excuse to get off a guy? This is the playoffs, bruh. You want to be in the conversation with the Kobe's? Kawhi, are you serious? Two, I don't want to hear all this. One of the best wing defenders of all time. Shut the fuck up and do it. One screen and you die? Unacceptable. And it's not Kawhi's fault. I know that that's what Ty Lue intended for and they want to save his energy for the offense softest shit i've ever heard because that's that modern oh the game's a little fast paced so now i can't run anymore no because the 80s players did that and ran all game so what's magic johnson a superhuman because he can run all day like that and james worthy are they fucking superhumans because these guys can't do it anyway uh another person that i think should be held accountable and i've been defending him all year to the death ty Lu. poor decisions why is Reggie Jackson still in the game when he's missing everything? Why? And he's getting cooked on defense, too. So he needed to come out. Terrence Mann, how many times have I said this this season? We need him in the playoffs because he plays defense. If anything, he can play better defense on Luka than, because he doesn't need to worry about conserving himself on that offensive end. So why don't... Terrence needs to play next game. Way more. And honestly, I would much rather have Kennard than Reggie. Just because I like the way he gets his points. But... You know, I, Reggie's had such a good year, and Ty's been so loyal to him. And I just don't want a Ty, like, I don't want a Glenn Rivers Montrader situation happening with Ty and, um, and Ty and Reggie with this loyalty, blind loyalty, you know, because he's played well this season. And Patrick Beverly was okay. I thought he played better in the second half. They started out poorly, but he was able to make two out of his four threes and four of six from the field. He hit some floaters in the second quarter that helped us get into it. Here's the thing, though, guys. Paul George started playing a lot better in the third, and with our trapping strategy on Luka, it started working a lot better. Fourth quarter, though, and this is when the game seemed like it was going to turn in our favor, and I thought we were going to win it, man, because the momentum in the stadium was feeling it. You know, we I think it was we were down 86-83, I believe, or 86-80, but two hits a three. I'm sorry, no, it was 85-80. Batum hits a three, makes it 85-83. Paul George pulls up in rhythm. And that's a shot that is almost only going in because there's a crowd. You know the momentum was there. You knew it was going to fall. And he made the next three after that too. The only problem is Dorian Finney-Smith made a three that kind of killed momentum. And that's the thing about Dallas. They made all the right plays. And you got to hand it to them. I think it was more of Dallas winning than us losing. Actually, it was a combination of both, as you'd expect. But there's so many things the Clippers did wrong. Other than not turn the ball over much, which we took care of the ball very well. We only turned the ball over, I think, five times in the game. Yeah, five times in the entire game. I thought that just our role players not hitting enough. And here's the thing. I didn't notice an over-reliance on threes, but looking at the stats, 11 for 40, that's too much. Again, we are going to keep shooting threes out of the playoffs. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Because only one team has won this championship won a championship, playing this jump-shooting heavy style. They're called the Warriors, okay? And not every team is like that, okay? I know it's more of a three-point era, and Toronto still shot a lot of threes relative to teams from the past, but Kawhi and Siakam were able to get baskets down low. And Fred Van Vliet and Lowry were able to get to the paint. So it's not just an over-reliance on threes the way the Clippers are doing it now. And we cannot do that. We will lose. We will lose. And here's my thing. Paul George played very solid in the second half. I had no problems with it at the end. But Kawhi in the fourth, 
He only had one jumper made. And other than that, I think he went too long without getting a shot up. And here's the thing. They started to double Kawhi. But what have we talked about with double teams? This excuse that people have about, oh, it's oh he got double teamed. Is the so- is this just, is one, is very soft. Two, you just don't know basketball enough to realize how you break double teams. For a guy in the post, you got to get mid-post position and turn over either shoulder away from the double team. And I'm going to get to somebody who handled double teams incredibly in one of the games in a second. But I think Kawhi, he knows the double team is coming. LeBron, this is what LeBron does, and I'm very critical of this. Because Kobe and Jordan, didn't, they're smart enough to get away from this. LeBron and Kawhi wait for the double team to come because they know it's coming to make a play. But when you're the best player and you need to be the guy taking shots... You need to work within the first two or three seconds of getting the ball. There's no time to survey the defense because by the time you're surveying them, they're surveying you, and they're going to come double you. So Kawhi had a couple chances against Tim Hardaway Jr., smaller guys. You got to go quick. You got to go quick because that double's coming. This is fine margins we're playing with here. It's the playoffs. And I don't think Kawhi was aggressive enough in that fourth quarter. That being said, Kawhi and Paul weren't really the reasons we lost. I thought that Reggie and Mook, I mean, Marcus Morris Sr., like, we went up by four. And by the way, when Rondo was hitting those threes and Paul George took a charge, right? We were up by like, I want to say three points, like 94-91. I thought we had the game in the bag. But Dorian Finney-Smith came down and hit a three. And there was a couple plays where we got we got beaten on the boards, I believe. Let me see. The, I want to see the rebounding battle here. So we got 39 rebounds. Mavericks shot 42. So very similar, but there were a couple second chance points that were avoidable. And when we're going to switch a lot... You need to be aware of where you are. You need to be aware of who you're putting a body on. If you switch and just don't go for the rebound and just hope it lands to you, that's not going to work. This is the playoffs. you got to get a body on everybody. That means Marcus Morris Sr. That means Paul George. Kawhi was the only one last night or yesterday afternoon that seemed like he was trying to get every single rebound. Kawhi had 10 boards, by far the most on our team. The next one was Batum with 7. You know, that, that's not good enough. Our 7-footers, oh my God. If it's a Zubats, 3 rebounds. Serge Ibaka. Four rebounds. And we started going small ball. I started noticing that as the game went on, small ball. And here's the thing. I understand why we're doing it. Because we don't want to have Zubats in the pick and roll. We want to be able to switch everything more easily. However, Porzingis is not good at using his size at all. He stands at the three-point line like the you know soft guy that he is. We need to rebound. Gang rebound, though. Because here's the thing. He's still 7-3. If he crashes the glass, we're still at a disadvantage. That's the one thing. He's not going to score on you in the post. Because he is not that nice. But we need to get rebounds. So I thought we were outworked a little bit too. But when we were up three, and Paul George, there was one moment, you guys didn't see it on camera. But Paul George, after he took a charge, we were up three, 94-91 in the fourth, started motioning to the crowd. The whole place rose and erupted. It was dope. It was a great moment. Um, but that being said, they couldn't make the momentum plays at the end. And you got to give you know Luca credit. He was making the right plays. In those, um, they were trapping. We were trapping him. He made nice plays. Porzingis and Dorian Finney-Smith made the right plays and made the right passes and made the right shots when they counted. Um, but Marcus Morris Senior missing two free throws when we were down three with like three minutes left, and then they came back and scored on the other end. Total momentum killer. Total, totally unacceptable. Rondo also missed two free throws in the fourth as well, and I believe Kawhi may have missed one as, missed one as well. So let's look at the free throw numbers for the Clippers overall. 20 of 26. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the Mavs. 18 of 24 for the Clippers from the line. Marcus Morris Sr. missing two is just rare. And Kawhi can't miss two of them. I mean, if he's shooting nine, he's got to go eight of nine. But here's the thing, guys. That's it for... I mean, I don't, I don't think it's anything to panic from. It sucks to lose game one at home. It feels like 2014 when we lost the Warriors in that game one at home. And I was there. And it was a very similar feel to the game. Very similar feel to the crowd. It was also an afternoon game, second game of the day. But we bounced back and kicked their ass in game two, and I was there too. And I will be at this game too, and I hope it's even louder than, than the first game because we need every single – the Clippers need every single ounce of help that they can get. So we need to be extra loud. We need to bring it. I know a couple people going to that game. Asher and Lucas will be joining me on that one for the second vlog. We need to win. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Our season comes down to this. And they put. And here's the thing. This is the part that pisses me off the most though. Um, by the way, to, to the comment for the rich ass, dude, I paid uh, like 67 bucks for this ticket, so not really. Um, the Clipper tickets are very affordable. And that's what makes it one positive being a Clipper fan. Um, anyway, the one thing I will say, though, we made our bed 
by of wanting to, I don't know, I'm going I'm to blatantly say we avoided the Lakers because I don't actually know what's going on in the locker room, but we did not prioritize seeding in those last two games. And because of that, we earned a harder first-round matchup. We could have had Portland, and Portland looked good, and we're going to get into them in a second, but we could have had Portland, and we didn't. We went with Dallas, and this is what we get. And if it goes to seven, then I'm going to be so mad at not only the players, but mostly the coaching staff for not playing our best players to get the three seed. Because I, we cannot go seven in the first round again. It can't happen. And I say again, meaning previous Clipper teams, not these bozos. But anyway, I think a lot. I think we're going to do a lot better. I think we're going to make adjustments. I think we're going to be fine. I think. But the main thing that's going to come out is the intensity to start the game. We've been much better about that this season. We've got to be tougher. And first of all, to Lucas Hansmore. Either we trap, hard trap every time and just get him out of rhythm, or Kawhi and Paul George and Batum guard him every possession and fight through some screens. Final lines, Kawhi, 26 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 steals. I thought his defense was good when he was playing on the ball, but 9 of 22 from the field, still not great enough. 1 of 6 from 3, not going to cut it, so I'd still say Kawhi wasn't good enough in that first game. Senior was terrible, our worst player probably. Actually, no, that's, that, I'll reserve that for Reggie. Four points for Senior on two of eight, 0 of six from three. A lot of uncharacteristic misses. Zubats was okay. Eight points, three rebounds, four of five. He only played 19 minutes, though. Bev, 10 points, four of six from the field on, in 17 minutes. He was okay. Paul George, I'd say was honestly, like, of, of, the, of the standards. Eh, never mind. His defense wasn't good enough. He was good, but not great. 23 points, eight of 18 from the field. Two of eight from three, maybe slightly too many. One of them was very ill-advised. We were down five with like a minute and a half left, and he came out and just chucked. Terrible shot. But two of them, though, was great. 11.7 rebounds, two assists, four of eight from the field, three of seven from three, and playoff Rondo, 11 points, four rebounds, and four assists on three of six. Luca though, was the best player on the court. And I think a lot of these games come down to who the best player on the court is, and Luca was the best player on the court in this one. 31 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. 11 of 24 from the field. 5 of 11 from 3. 4 of 7 from the line. Porzingis wasn't great. That's the only negative for the Mavs. Other than that, I thought they were perfect. 14 points. And their defense was better than I've ever seen it, too. 14 points. 4 of 13 from the field. 1 of 5 from 3 for the fake unicorn. Tim Hardaway Jr., 21 points, though. 8 of 13 from the field and 5 of 9 from 3, which is huge. And Dorian Finney-Smith with 18 on 7 of 9 and 4 of 5 from 3. Jalen Brunson with 15 off the bench. So it's really, it was their game. It was totally their game. Now let's move on to the Lakers against the Suns. And I actually only got to watch the second half of this game, but I heard what I needed to about the first half performance. I heard that LeBron was extremely lazy on defense, but his offense was good. I heard that Anthony Davis was the same as I saw in the second half, soft, and it was just a lack of urgency from the Lakers. Lack of urgency like we saw in the first half of the Golden State game. And I saw that Suns crowd. They were excited to be there. And you gotta love that. That boost they have, this has been 10 years. And Devin Booker, I've been saying all year, you guys know that Chris Paul may have gotten a little too much credit this season. Devin Booker has brought it. And he brought it in his first playoff game, as did DeAndre Ayton. Booker was scoring in a multitude of ways. Nobody could guard him, not even Caruso. And he was getting in that mid-range area. Floaters, faders, threes, getting to the basket in transition. Chris Paul, though, man, can't catch a break, can he? One of the reasons, uh, you know, don't consider him as as high in the all-time point guard discussion as a lot of people because availability is important. And Chris Paul's had a lot of injuries at um, crucial times. And Devin Booker was just phenomenal yesterday. DeAndre Ayton was maybe even better. He was crashing the glass, getting rebounds over AD. And again, what have we talked about with Vogel? Frank, uh, I'm sorry, Drummond playing way too much over Gasol. And Mark didn't get a lick in that first playoff in, at game one. And that's not good. Because, again, not only does it clog the paint for a, for LeBron, Anthony Davis, as I've said since the beginning of the season, because I noticed it last year in the glorified summer league, when he plays the four and he has a, 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 a guy that takes up the paint, he doesn't want to clog it, so he stands 18 feet from the basket and plays like a shooting guard. And that is never scaring anybody. And I told... You Laker fans, 
that nobody is scared of Anthony Davis from 18 feet or beyond. You can say he made those jumpers in the bubble. I know what's the real deal. He does not hit those all the time. Teams will live with them all day. So Anthony Davis can keep playing a soft little guard. No one's afraid of it at all. And so then I watched the second half, right? And the, the Nuggets, or sorry, the Suns were up eight. The Lakers made a little push. You know, um, Caruso, I thought, was, was awesome overall. Again, 10 points for him, four of nine, and two of four from three. But the Suns' defense was just sharp. And one thing I noticed about the Suns is when Booker or Chris Paul get doubled, mainly Booker, the, the, the role players know how to move off the ball. And mainly the players that spent multiple years in college. Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. Flashing middle, being one pass away, not making it so Booker has to throw a cross-court pass. And the whole defense breaks down when things like that happen. When you know where to be when double teams come. And they were killing it. Absolutely killing it. I thought LeBron was solid offensively. If I'm being generous in the third quarter. He was solid. But AD... Whenever he had a smaller guy on him and went to the post, I saw him hit those turnarounds no problem, like he should. But for whatever reason, he doesn't want to do it every time down the court. He doesn't want to exploit every mismatch, and all these possessions add up. And you know what results in that? A loss. A big fat one. Because the Lakers tried their little push, and it was a testy affair. I mean, I don't know how campaign got ejected. I know they said one for the shove, another for the garbage bro soft garbage that was one technical that was some weird shit and then lebron proceeded to miss three free throws out of four in the fourth quarter he missed three three pointers and anthony davis was nowhere to be found neither was mark gasol it was a total disaster class by the lakers dennis Schroeder, 14 points five of seven his shooting night was good he had four turnovers though i think he could have been better lebron five turnovers but to be fair i didn't see enough of dennis to judge his game but here's the adjustments that need to be made. Vogel needs to chill with Drummond and play much more AD at the five and much more uh, Marc Gasol. But mainly, LeBron and AD need to pick this shit up because this is the playoffs. So I don't want to hear the excuses from the Laker fans anymore. What what happened to what happened to when we get healthy, when we get Drummond back, or when when the playoffs come, they're gonna we're gonna kill everybody. Ain't talking all that now, huh? But it's only game one, and they lost game one of the first round last year. The only difference is they're playing on the road, and this Suns team is hungry. And if the Suns go up 2 nothing, then we really got to start talking. But LeBron and AD, one performance, terrible from each of them. DeAndre Ayton was phenomenal in his first playoff game. Not playing soft at all, which we've seen on multiple occasions this year. DeAndre Ayton, 21 points and 16 rebounds on 10 of 11 from the field in his playoff debut. Incredible. Devin Booker. 34 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists. His passing has come so far, but you guys know that because I've talked about it all season. 13 of 26 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3. And then Mikel Bridges with 10 points, didn't shoot too well though, 4 of 12. And here's the crazy part. Jay Crowder was 0 of 7 from 3. He had 8 points. Mikhail, and he played good defense though, Jay Crowder. And then Mikel Bridges was uh, 4 of 12 from the field. So things could still get better for the Suns. Um, it's going to be a great game, too. 99-90, Anthony Davis, 13 points on 5 of 16 from the field. That is garbage. LeBron, 18 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, 5 turnovers, 6 of 13. I don't care about his efficiency. Garbage. 3 of 6 on the foul line. Bad game for the Lakers, but I think they'll be fine. They'll win in 6 still. None of my, here's the thing. None of my picks are changing. All my picks are still the same. So let's move on now to the Bucks against the Heat. This was a very, very, very sloppy game. So many threes shot. Like, just an absurd amount. And I thought that both games just equally kept each other in the game. If Honestly, if Jimmy Butler just didn't play the worst playoff game I've ever seen him play in his entire life, the Heat would have won this game. And to be honest, I was paying attention to Giannis. He doesn't look like he's come anywhere. He's come, like, come far at all. He looks exactly the same player we saw in the bubble. And I know it's one game, so maybe, maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction. But if this can, Chris Middleton looked like the best player again for the Bucks, And I don't care about the stat line of 26-18 and 18 for Giannis. A ton of those rebounds I didn't even notice. Some of them were great, though. I love about Giannis that even if his, you know, his skill game isn't coming, which he doesn't have much of, he will fight for those points. He will be around the basket getting rebounds. He's going to get those Charles Barkley points. Like He's going to get those second efforts. 
And he did a lot of that. I got a lot of putbacks, and he just stayed aggressive, and he stays playing defense. That's one thing I love about him. Man, this Bucks team, man, they're not that scary. Brooke Lopez played pretty well. He had 18 points and 8 rebounds on 5 of 10. Chris Middleton was phenomenal, though, especially starting with the second quarter going forward. He was so good. He was hitting up, you know, a bunch of his bunch of his shots. And Middleton has a very old-school game, mid-range, can turn over either shoulder. I just wish that he played like more of a star sometimes. Like he tried to take – like the way he was in that fourth quarter, he's got to be like that more. Because Giannis, it's, it's starting to be more of a Shaq dynamic, a Shaq-Kobe dynamic, where he's great, he's the best player, but he's not the closer. And the, the best example of that type of player like is Shaq or Wilt. And Middleton needs to be that guy, and he very much was that guy in this game one. I thought Duncan Robinson was awesome. I thought, though, that he did get a little carried away with some of the attempts from three. And I know he can make ridiculous shots, but there's just a time and place for everything. And I thought there were times where the Bucks had all the momentum and he was fiending a little too hard for those threes. He was 7 of 13 from the field, and he was 7 of 13 from three. But again, Jimmy Butler just missed so many good looks, like layups, like literally put-back layups. And Bam Adebayo needs to develop a mid-range. I know we saw... Um, glimpses of it um, in the regular season, but I don't care about the regular season. This is where it counts. And Brooke Lopez was sagging off so much, like sagging off in the key as Bam above the foul line. And bro can't make a floater. He's not making his... He's just... He's a star, but he's good at everything besides scoring right now. Bam out of bio, 4 of 15 from the field. 9 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals. That's cool. Not good enough. Jimmy Butler... I know he tied the game with a bank shot at the end, sent it in overtime, which was big, but he wasn't good enough. 17 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 6 turnovers, 4 of 22 from the field, and he shot 9 threes, which is very unlike him. He doesn't shoot that many threes. He shouldn't have shot that many threes. The Heat shot 50 threes. Terrible. And they made, here's the funny part, they made 20 of them, and you might say, oh my god, 40% from three, that's good. No, 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 no. How many of those were unnecessary and avoidable? You could have been 50%. Because I don't want, I don't want to just look at the box score and look at that and say, oh, these are good shots. They were terrible shots. Some of them were extremely unnecessary. Tyler Hero, 2 of 10 from the field. Not a good game. Continuing as to why I said I think the Bucks are going to win this series because I don't think he's at the same level as he was last year. He was 2 of 5 from 3 and then 0 of 5 from everywhere else. The one positive, though, for, this, for the Heat, besides Duncan Robinson playing well and having 24 points... Goran Dragic looked like the bubble version of himself. And maybe when the game slows down, Goran Dragic just benefits because he's that smart and that good. And he has the ability to hit to score on all three levels. Because he was getting what he wanted again. 25 points on 10 of 17 from the field and 5 of 10 from 3. I think that it's all... Honestly, this game was really on Jimmy Butler. Like, Jimmy Butler and Bam, mostly Jimmy. They could have done things better and won. But you got to hand it to Drew Holiday, who had a really solid debut. 20 points, 11 boards. Made the right plays, made some big defensive plays. 9 of 18 from the field. I thought P.J. Tucker played good defense when he was in. You won't see it in the box score because he, he only scored 0 points, but his defense was good in his 18 minutes of play. And I thought somebody that was awesome, really awesome, scoring not only in the post, you know, low post, turnaround jump hooks, but hitting floaters and attacking the basket, just making the right reads in terms of what he was doing, looking to score when he got the ball, and that was Bobby Portis. He had eight points and four boards on four of six in just 17 minutes. Giannis ended up with a great stat line. He didn't play that great, though. 26 points, 18 boards, six of them, six of them offensive, five assists, three steals, but he also had five turnovers, was 0 of 3 from 3, and 6 of 13 from the line, which is just not going to win you a championship. Middleton, though. Player of the game, Kobe Bryant-like fall away with nearly two defenders on him to end the game, our first game winner of this year's playoffs. And it's not the first time he's had a game winner in the playoffs. We remember that game four last year in the bubble against these same Miami Heat. Chris Middleton is starting to show why he has been an elite player in this league for a couple years. And honestly, he needs to take the reins in these fourth quarters, I think. 27 for him, a big win for the Bucks, big. And I bet you this, this loss could come back to bite Miami. But let's move on. Man, we're going a little long on this recap, but we're going to get them all out, bro. Um, let's talk about the Nets and the Celtics. So I watched this game, and I really liked the way that the Celtics started. I thought their defense was sharp. Um, I liked how... Um, yeah, I just thought their defense was sharp overall. Fournier especially, he was really impressing me on that end. And then Marcus Smart, you know what he's going to give on D. But 
the Nets. So much iso ball. I mean, I've never seen a team where I think it would work as well as this one, but like, it's just take turns. It's just take turns. And it's beautiful to watch Durant isolate, and he was very off in the beginning with his jumper, but I was very impressed with how aggressive he came out. Like, I thought he was gonna look to defer a bit and get Kyrie going, get Harden going, but he wanted to go out there and score 30. And he did score 30. And I was pretty impressed by that. I'm sorry, well, let's see. Yeah, 30, he had 32 points. Um, but it's just, every time Harden got the ball, dee 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 tween, cross, tween, cross. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Like, and here's one thing I couldn't stand. The Celtics started out so well because Tatum was unbelievable in the first half. Like, they had no answer for him at all. And both teams were switching everything. But the Tristan Thompsons of the world were doing, so, and the Time Lord, were doing such a good job switching on to the stars of the Celt of the Nets. And I gotta give Tristan Thompson credit, man. He played so well. He played so well. He had four points and 10 rebounds, but maybe in the second half he slowed down, but that first half, the Celtics were so good. I mean, KD missed some shots in that first quarter, but they led by five, 21-16, and they were up by six at halftime, uh, 53-47, and I thought it was because of that defense. Tristan Thompson was on the boards well. Um, Jabari Parker came in and gave him a nice lift. You know, he had a jump hook, hit an open three. Time Lord with nine blocks, nine blocks. Like, he was just unreal. But Kevin Durant started getting going. Um, James Harden got going a bit, and so did Kyrie. And in the second half, they started hitting all their shots in those one-on-one matchups. And when those guys start getting going one-on-one, there's really not much you can do. I mean, they're just so good one-on-one, and the Celtics just did not have the Jalen Brown firepower there. To, and you know what's funny is I honestly think if Jalen Brown was playing, this would be a really good series. Like, I think it would go seven games. Just because the Nets are not there yet as a team. But because they were never without him, and because Kemba Walker, again, he cannot shoot like this if they want to win against this team. 15 points on 5 of 16 from the field is just not good enough. Those are bubble Kemba Walker numbers. Marcus Smart was really good, 17 points, 6 of 13. But Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker combining for 8 of 26, it's just not going to cut it. And Jason Tatum played great in the first half. Second half, he fizzled out, 6 of 20. Only shooting 40%, only finishing with 22 points. Two nets, finishing above him in scoring. Kevin Durant started cooking in that second half. And, man, it's so pretty to watch him score because he does it at all three levels. He can post up against certain guys. He was going to his turnarounds. And he was just so efficient with his movements. He doesn't overcomplicate things, which makes him such a better scorer than Harden, in my opinion. Um, And here's one thing I can't stand, though, if you're the Celtics, is that the nets get bailed out by so many hand check fouls because they flail and flop. I hope Tatum starts doing the same and same with Kemba because it's very frustrating to watch because I love the way that the refs have ramped up the physicality in this uh, in the playoffs with the way that, what they're calling, but they do still call hand check and touch fouls in certain games at random times. It can be very inconsistent. So the final score, the Celtics just could not hang on and put two halves of good basketball together. Um, in terms of adjustments, I just don't know what you can do if you're the Celtics. There's just... Kemba's got to score better. Kemba's got to make shots. How simple as that. And the, the Nets win it 104-93 in their first playoff game together. It's crazy seeing all three of them in the same team together in the playoffs. It is. Um, it's championship or bust completely. The third quarter is what, was what turned it around. Good crowd in Brooklyn. 13,000 there. 31-20 the Nets in the third, which was the difference in the game. They won it 104-93. Kevin Durant was in his first playoff game since the finals game where he tore his Achilles. He had 32 points and 12 rebounds, 10 of 25 from the field, so only 40%. One of eight from three, though, but the good thing about Kevin, he got to the line. 11 of 12 from the line. Harden, 21 points, 5 of 13 from the field, 2 of 8 from three. So was Kyrie, 2 of 8 from three, so nobody from the Nets really shot well from the three. 8 of 34 as a team, just trash all around. Celtics were a little better, 11 of 30. And the reason why is because they shot so well in the first half, that's what kept them in the game. Because they don't usually shoot that well from three. They've been around... Like 11 for 34 type of team all season. Uh, Kyrie, 29 points though in the end. 11 of 20 from the field. 2 of 8 from 3. So that means he was 9 of 12 from 2. He made all his free throws. 5 of 5 from the line. And yeah. Nets go up one nothing as expected. Let's talk about the Blazers and the Nuggets. So I watched this game. It was very interesting. Really good start by Jokic in the first half. Had like 20 points in the first half. He was not able to be contained. But Damian Lillard, so there are a couple ways to guard him. There's the hard trap and force somebody else to make plays. Nuggets didn't go to that. 
They went on in like one or two possessions. And Yusuf Nurkic did a really good job. And they didn't play against Yusuf Nurkic two years ago when they beat him. Or I'm sorry, when they lost to them in seven. Nuggets lost. But Nurkic did a really good job of turning and just going to the basket, forcing Aaron Gordoners or Austin Rivers to step up and rotate. And they were not the same presence as a Paul Millsap down there. They weren't as quick on the rotation. Yusuf Nurkic was getting to the basket and scoring. And then, so they stopped going with that. They wanted to go hedge and recover with Dame. And Dame did a really good job of either feeding it to somebody underneath and they got to swing it to the corner threes. Anthony Simons, Carmelo Anthony making his return and hearing the boos from the Nuggets crowd played big. And the other option was when they hedge and recovered and recovered, Dame would go one-on-one and, man, you could not stop the guy. And he was making great plays, getting to the basket, feeding guys, you know, not knowing, not known for his passing, but Damian Lillard was making all the right plays on Saturday night, and he was scoring in bunches. I mean, the guy, you need to throw two guys on him. You need to throw him, give him the Steph treatment because he is so freaking good, man. Um, so good. And then... CJ McCollum, also solid. Not the most efficient night, but he was able to come off screens, get into his mid-range area, and he hit his open threes. He had 21 points on 8 of 20 from the field and 3 of 7 from 3. I liked the energy of a one Facundo Campazzo trying his hardest. Um, I liked Michael Porter Jr. I thought that he shot too many threes, though. 12 of 21 from the field, 1 of 10 from 3. So you can do the math. That means he was 11 of 11 from the two-point uh, range. So Maga Porter needs to just look for, you know, not shooting too many threes. I thought that there was a lot of open threes, though, missed by the Nuggets. They were 11 of 36 and a lot of good looks that Jokic created. I thought Jokic was good enough, honestly. 34 and 16, but he only had one assist, which is way below his average, and that comes from players making shots. But I also think that the Blazers wanted Jokic to get off and not let other guys get going, and that's exactly what they did. I thought it was a very good performance defensively, by the Blazers. Um, and, and that's not what they're known for. So you got to give them credit for playing that way on the defensive end. And Damian Lillard was just phenomenal all night long. 34 points, 13 assists, 10 of 25 from the field, 5 of 12 from 3, and 9 of 9 from the line. But the other guys, Yusuf Nurkic, 16 points, 12 boards, 5 assists. Norman Powell, 10 points. Didn't shoot too well. It was only 3 of 11, but still made an impact. Anthony Simons, 14 points. 5 of 6 on the field, 4 of 5 from 3, Carmelo, 18 points, 6 of 12 from the field, and 4 of 8 from 3. Aaron Gordon I thought was solid as well, 16 points, 7 of 16. I mean, I just think the Nuggets need to play better defense. I need to just, you got to just get the ball out of Dame's hands. You got to. You can't do hedge and recover with him, honestly. You got to go hard trap. You just got to because he is too good. And you got to live with the other guys making shots. And if they start making open threes, well, then the Blazers are a better playoff team than they have ever been in the past. Even better than 2019. Big win for Portland. I had Nuggets in seven to win this series, and I think that's still what it's going to go. But Damian Lillard, and they've had a better supporting cast this season. If Simons and Carmelo can just make those open threes on the regular, and Dame, I mean, he was phenomenal. So big win for Portland. Let's Okay, that was all of Saturday's games, I believe. I think I nailed them all there. Let's talk about Sunday's last three games before we end it because the game's about to start. By the way, I do see your comments about Jordan Clarkson winning sixth man of the year. I don't think it's anything to talk about. I said he was going to win, and it's obvious. Good for him. Anyway, let's talk about, before we get to the scum jazz, let's talk about the... Ah, let's, do, let's talk about the scum jazz real quick. Oh, this was an awesome game, honestly. I'm not going to lie. No Donovan Mitchell, though, which made it a perfect opportunity for the Memphis Grizzlies to get a steal and maybe make the series more entertaining than we anticipated. And that's exactly what they did. And you gotta love the way they came out and threw the punch. And that started from John Morant, Yotis Valanciunas, Dylan Brooks, who we're gonna get into in a second. How incredible he played. But just being aggressive, going to the basket, you know, the Grizzlies... They're not much of a, a three-point shooting team. Like, they only shot 23s. And I love that. They made seven of them, shot 35%. They got their twos. And you know who was incredible? Kyle Anderson, my second favorite college player of all time. He was just phenomenal. Getting to his mid-range area. I mean, nobody, people can't really guard him because he's tall, he has a high release, and he's fundamentally sound. He will get you with a pump fake, Larry Bird style. People sleep on those pump fakes. They don't understand what they can do. 
when guys have the illusion, they can make those mid-range shots. And Kyle was great. He was making tough, like, leaders off the glass. Like, very impressive. And more impressive, his hands. Six steals. Six steals for slow-mo. And that impressed me a lot. But Dylan Brooks, Ja Morant was getting in the paint. But Ja was struggling on his floaters a bit in the beginning. He was missing them. Missing his runners. And the Jazz, you know, they Conley came out really well. You know, getting to the basket. And they made some threes, but... Bogdanovich really struggled in the beginning of the game, first half shooting the ball. And that was kind of keeping the Grizzlies in the game. And for a second, the Jazz with Jordan Clarkson kind of seemed to take a little bit of a lead. Uh, Derek Favors came in and was doing his thing, rebounding the ball like he does. He finished with a double-double, 12-11. and 11. And the Jazz went up by like 9 or so. or I think they may have been up by like 10. But again, the Grizzlies came back. And it was Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson. But Dylan Brooks was getting into the mid-range area. He was attacking the basket every chance he got off the of screens. I mean, I had never seen, since Oregon, I had not seen that display of Dylan Brooks scoring the basketball against that level of competition in an NBA game. And he was hitting tough shots, like leaders, mid, he was getting to that mid-range, coming off screens. And I love what I was seeing. Because, you know, you don't want to go all the way with Gobert. And that's one thing that they did so well is they got Gobert in foul trouble. And that was huge for the game. Because after that, Dylan Brooks and John Morant were attacking the paint. And John Morant, and that's the thing, the Grizzlies stayed right there. You know, the Jazz made their runs. Bogdanovich was phenomenal in the second half. I mean, he was starting to hit some tough shots, like contested threes, guys in his face. But the Grizzlies stayed resilient, and you got to love the fight of this Grizzlies team. And I hate the Grizzlies, but i got to give them props. Grayson Allen, 23 minutes of play, 5 points, still played hard, 1 of 2 from 3. And Desmond Bain made a huge 3 before the end of the third quarter at the buzzer it was so big like and George Niang had his hands up right in his face and he still drained it and going into that fourth quarter the Jazz made the run but what is a sign of a great team when the home team makes a run the crowd's going crazy can you make the big plays to sustain that to to uh to close the door Dylan Brooks was phenomenal in the third quarter getting what he wanted getting in these mid-range areas hitting Kobe shots I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And ones. And then in the fourth quarter, John Morant took over again. Getting to the basket at will. Turning the corner on any big that was showing on him. And nobody could guard him. He was getting to that floater game. It was amazing to see. I mean, this kid is fearless. He's not afraid of anything. And I am not surprised because he's been my favorite rookie for two years. So... What a win for Memphis. They made this a series. The Jazz need Donovan back ASAP because this could be a good series um, if he doesn't play the next game. But I heard he is playing the next game. Jordan Clarkson, though, I will say, let's look at his line. 5 of 16 and 0 of 8 from 3. There are times where he doesn't play playoff basketball at all. He is very chuck-fest. He's very hold-on to the ball. And he needs to have more awareness. Because that's not playoff basketball. But John Morant, man, let's talk about the backcourt. John, and by the way, Jonas Valanciunas was very solid as well. 15 and 12. I thought he matched Rudy up fairly nicely. And I thought Rudy played well when he was in. You know, 11 points, 15 rebounds, and 3 blocks. But those fouls, man. And one of them was a careless foul at the end. Conley ended up starting great, finished 6 of 18 from the field and 3 of 11 from 3. He fell in love with that 3 ball and it didn't go. 22 and 11 though, he was making plays. So I think Conley had a really solid game still. Bogdanovich, 8 of 16 from the field. The Jazz just weren't making their threes. And this is the reason why I think the Jazz won't win the championship. is because they are too much of a three-point chuck team. It's exactly what I said about the Clippers. But they may be even worse in that direction. 12 of 47 from 3. 12 of 47. 25%. Yo, the Grizzlies were much smarter. John Morant. Let's see what he finished with. 26 points, 11 of 21 from the field. He only shot one three and he missed, but he made all his free throws, four of four. Dylan Brooks, his the best game of his career, I think. 31 points, 13 of 26, 50% from the field, and he shot 40% from three, two of five. The only thing you can say is he should have shot better from the line. Three of six ain't good enough. But seven rebounds to go along with that. Two assists, two steals, and two blocks. His defense was also phenomenal. He was just working so hard. And Kyle Anderson was awesome too. 14 points of his own. So the Grizzlies winning game one at Utah? Wow. 
Let's talk about my favorite game of the weekend, the Knicks and the Hawks. Oh, my God, that Madison Square Garden crowd, man. You want to be a part of that. Like, oh, man, unreal intensity. Uh, I thought Julius Randle, though, came out with a little too much adrenaline. He was tr- going a little 100 miles per hour, and he was getting himself into offensive fouls and, you know, tough shots being taken. And the Hawks played good D. And if I'm the Hawks, man, we should win this series. I mean, the, the talent gap offensively is not close. I mean, Bogdanovich, you can see it. Gallinari. But my problem with the Knicks was, how are you going to go drop coverage on Trey Young? You know he loves to get downhill. You know he's dangerous with that floater. And you're just going to let him go downhill? you got to go hedge recover. you got to. you got to send two guys at Trey, make him make the pass, and live with the four-on-three rotations. You can't let Trey Young just get downhill like that. You can't. He was picking him apart, lobbing it up to Capella. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You've got to throw two on the ball handler. You've got to because they're going to pay for it. And R.J. Barrett, I loved his hustle. He was getting to the rim. He couldn't make his threes, though. Um... And the Knicks' offense is just not great. I thought that Alec Burks and Derrick Rose completely saved them off the bench. They were incredible off the bench, especially Alec Burks. I mean, he hit some shots that stars can't even hit. Like, he was hitting, you know, great mid-range game, turnarounds over both shoulders with a dude on him. There was one shot he hit in the fourth that was, like, ridiculous. Like, again, I'm going to say, like, a Kawhi Kobe-type shot. And, um, anyway... I thought that the Hawks came out with the right intensity, though. Trey Young making plays. Uh, John Collins was good. He was a little quiet. But Lou Williams, towards the end of the fourth, when they, and this game was really close the whole way. I mean, Atlanta was up eight because the Knicks couldn't get going in the first quarter. But Derrick Rose and Alec Burks got him going. But somebody that was really eye-catching was um, Emmanuel Quickly. And Obi Toppin, for that matter. Obi Toppin had a really nice dunk. And he hit an open three. I want to look at his stat line real quick. Yeah, two of three, only five points in 12 minutes. He was plus three. I actually liked what he did. But Emmanuel quickly was not afraid of anything. I mean, we know he loves that floater. But when he hit that deep swish three in the crowd, you can just see them rocking. I mean, how great is it to have the Knicks back in the playoffs? It's just so awesome. Playoff games at the Garden. I mean, I've been to a game at the Garden, and it was unlike anything I've experienced. So, Unbelievable. But, you know, went into the half with the Hawks up by two. And then the Knicks up by two going into the fourth. And I thought they were going to come out and win it. Because R.J. Barrett's poster dunk. Woo-wee! That was incredible. Oh, facial, as Marv Albert would say. But you got to give the Hawks credit, too. They stuck, the, they, they stuck with it. Gallinari was a little bit chucker. But I think the guy that got the Hawks back in the game at the end of the third quarter was... Sweet Lou. Sweet Lou got to the rim, got to his lefty fallaway fade shot, and oh man, he made some plays down that end of that third quarter to get the Hawks that much closer and kill the momentum. And in that fourth quarter, it was a lot of back and forth, and I was thinking to myself, who's going to close this game better between Randall or Trey Young? Well, Trey Young got the best of him, and he was the best player on the court. I thought the Knicks had him up three. Boyan Bogdanovich hit a huge three from the right corner. I mean, a crowd silencer. And how well has he played since he's come back from the injury? And McMillan's just done. They just look like a more of a team, you know, in sync. Whereas before McMillan took over, when we covered him as a dime dropper team this year, Lloyd Pierce, you know, they looked like a group of individuals with Trey Young just doing high pick and roll every time down the court. It's still a lot of high pick and roll with Trey because he's so good at it, but it's a little bit more of a buy-in. Everyone's... Everybody can hit you with, um, with the, as a threat. And Trey Young was making really good plays down the stretch. You know, picking, popping, finding guys when they threw two at him. But it came down to that end of the game. You know, it was a tie game after that Bogdanovich three. And I absolutely love this from Trey Young. Unlike Steph Curry, and unlike a lot of other players, he they were going to set the screen. He waved it off. He was against Frank Nilekina, who's a, the best guard defender on the on the Knicks who was thrown into the fray, kind of off the bench, fresh off the bench. Trey with a double between the legs, got the step. He adjusted an and one floater, and he gamed him for the win, silenced the crowd, talked his shit. And you know what? I said before this series that I think the perception of Trey Young is going to change. He's going to get bullied. Well, for one game, I look like an idiot because he 
shut me up. He was unbelievable. That was a big shot. Two game winners in the first games, guys. Amazing. But, yeah, I think maybe Nilakina picked him up a bit too high. But I love how he waved off the screen because that would have brought the second defender. That's IQ. And Trey Young making that shot was awesome. That's playoff basketball. But if you're the Knicks, there's a clear adjustment. Throw two guys at Trey off the screen. You cannot let him get downhill like that. And Julius Randle needs to be better than that. 5 of 21 from the field is just not going to cut it. I'm sorry, 6 of 23 from the field. 15 points, 12 boards, 4 assists. Reggie Bullock was also 0 of 5 from 3. That must have been some nerves. He'll be better than that, I believe. He was 3 of 9, 6 points. Um, RJ Barrett. 6 of 50 from the field, but 1 of 6 from 3. He was 5 of 9 from 2. He was great going to the rim. He was very active. 14 points, 11 rebounds, as you can see. Uh, Derek Rose, 17 points, 8 of 16. Emmanuel quickly with 10 points on 4 of 7. And Alec Burks was their best player. 27 points on 9 of 13. It looked like he was going to be the hero for the game. That was the best moment of Alec Burks' career right there. But you got to have better performance with Randall. He got outplayed by Trey Young completely. And I, one thing I'll say about Randall, he posts up way too far from the basket for my liking. I know he's got that little 18-foot turnaround, and like he's kind of perfected that a little bit, but it's still too far from the basket for me. He spends too much time at the three. But I still got the Knicks in seven, um, just because I'm being a little biased towards the Knicks, but it's, it's, that's going to be an amazing series. I'm enjoying every second of it. And a huge shot by the young, first-time playoff player, Trey Young, 32 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, 11 of 23 from the field. And he only shot three threes. My favorite part about it. And the one he made was a deep one. And 9 of 9 from the line. 9 of 13 from Capella. Lou Williams with 13. You know what's crazy is this next highest scoring guy was Bogdanovich with 18. 7 of 15 from the field. So let's end it off with the Sixers and the... Wow, we're going over an hour. I'm sorry, guys. Just jam-packed. It won't be like this all the time. But first... Uh, game for the Sixers and the Wizards. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought the Wizards came out really well on Embiid, and they got him into foul trouble a bit. But Tobias Harris, our boy, first quarter Tobias. Here's the funny part. First quarter Tobias carried into the rest of the game. Coming off the curls, which is exactly what you want, get him into his mid-range area, get him being defended by smaller guys, and he was being aggressive. And here's the thing about Tobias. He hasn't had a good playoffs with the Sixers. He hasn't been used properly. But Glenn knows he loves that first quarter. Glenn knows you need to keep him in rhythm. And here's the thing about Tobias. He needs to be aggressive. It's all mental with him because he can score on anyone. He doesn't, he doesn't have the shifty handles and creation of space. All he needs is just that little bit of space, that, that mid-range area, old-school kind of style. And he was getting that. Turns over the right shoulder. Mid-range. Uh, and he was going to the rim, too. Hard and finishing. And I like Ben Simmons' activity on defense. And I like the tone he was setting. Pushing the pace a bit. Kicking it out to shooters. Only thing was, Seth Curry wasn't hitting in the first half. And the Wizards were staying in it. And I thought that Ish Smith off the bench gave a really nice boost. I thought Bertans gave a really nice boost as well. Ish Smith was 3 of 9 in the end. But in that first half, he was really good. Getting in the rim. He had 6 points. And Bertans had 14 points on and on five of ten from the field and four of eight from three. So I thought offensively he brought it. Only thing was, and Beals after the first quarter started exploding. I mean they could not guard him. He was getting by everyone. He was hitting tough floaters in the lane. He was hitting at the rim. The only thing was this. Westbrook, I liked the way he played in terms of what he was doing, but his bank shot from mid range was so bad, it was literally just coming off the backboard. It wasn't even hitting rim. It was terrible. And they're going to live with that all series too, funny enough. And I thought Gafford was good off the bench. Great activity, putbacks, defense. But the Wizards overall, and, and this game was called a little bit more modern, ticky-tack fouls and shit. And it favored the Sixers because they just have more offensive weapons. But I thought Beal was really good, and I thought the Wizards stayed in it. You know, they really played solid. But that fourth, and it's because of Beal mainly, I thought Hachimura, though, he needs to be a little more aggressive in mismatches because uh, he can actually kind of post up. He had 12 points on 5 of 8, but he needs to be a little bit more aggressive hunting mismatches when he gets those switches because there's a lot of switching going on in these games. Um, but overall, I think when the Sixers took over, it was when Seth Curry started hitting threes. They started getting some stops. There was the run where they went up to 88-81. and took a little. They hit three threes in a row, and mainly by Seth Curry, and I think that's when they kind of took advantage. But Embiid, though, and this is what I was talking about with Kawhi. 
Embiid put on a clinic in the fourth quarter and got a score when double teamed. And I know Kawhi's not seven feet, it doesn't matter. He goes away from the double because they're not hard doubles. They're soft, they're waiting for him to make a move to come. So one dribble to his right away from the double. Get into that one-on-one zone against your defender again. As if that other defender's not there. He was doing it. Turning over the right shoulder, he was doing it. Turning over the left shoulder, up and under, he was doing it. Going at them before the second defender can come. You gotta work quick. And here's one thing about Embiid. I don't like when he posts up 15 feet away from the basket because it's easier for a defender to sit outside the key and not get a three-second violation. When he gets it in the low block, which he was getting against Gafford and certain guys, dominant. They don't even have time to double. So if Embiid, that was the most aggressive and best Embiid I've seen in the playoffs probably thus far. Game two against the Brooklyn Nets two years ago rings a bell, and game three against the Sixers, I'm sorry, against the Raptors rings a bell. Um, No pun intended with the Sixer bell thing, the Liberty Bell. But... If he can continue to play like that, I don't know if they're going to get that performance from Tobias, though. And I know Russ is going to play better than that. So I think this series has a chance to go maybe more than five games like I anticipated. But Embiid needs to just keep being that dominant force. Because I love seeing a big man work. Ben Simmons, though, needs to be a bit more aggressive on switches himself. You know, all these Gen Z bots will, are trying to compare freaking, uh, trying to compare Ben Simmons to Magic and all these people. Dude. Ben Magic, you can't put Bradley Beal on him. You feel me? Every time that's 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 post up. Ben Simmons needs to be able to take advantage of these things if they want to win the championship. It'll be enough to get by the Wizards, not gonna be enough to win the championship. But that's it for me, guys. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to go to the live chat. I'll catch you guys tonight, though. After the Blazers game, that'll be a much shorter recap. This one was just long as fuck because this was all about all the games. So I will catch you after. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, that's it for me tonight, guys. Peace out.